Assalamu alaikum wa rahmatullahi wa barakatuh. Dear brothers and sisters, welcome to this Islam Q&A uh, show. And uh, we're back today, inshallah, there'll be uh, a number of relevant questions. So now let's look at these questions that we have here today. What is the ruling of birthdays, especially with uh, family, where it is celebrated for children? How do we avoid it? So look, there are uh, generally two opinions on birthdays. Um, I personally do not celebrate birthdays. Um, however, there are some scholars that allow birthdays saying that it's not really a religious, uh, it's not really a religious uh, ceremony, a religious celebration of any sort. It's just a human celebration that every year we've passed another year. Um, if you've got some, to be honest, I mean, I think that the way I look at it holistically is that if you've got something to celebrate that the last year has been wonderful, I finished the Quran, I've accomplished uh, this, I've started a, a business, uh, you know, for the sake of earning a living and doing well and serving the community or something like that, then, you know, then you could, you could probably celebrate that. But just as a celebration, I find it a bit void. I find it a bit problematic. I think we need to make it significant because at the end of the day, just the way that we're becoming older, there's another aspect is just that we've, uh, you know, increase the years that we've been here. Alhamdulillah, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala be thankful for the number of years that we've been here. But isn't it that we're also, you know, uh, taking up that time from our limited life and thus we're getting with every year, we're getting closer to death. So if uh, a birthday is made a form of reflection, I can kind of understand that, you know, I can kind of understand that. So as I said, there's two opinions. Some scholars prohibit it. Others say that it's not really a religious, uh, you know, it's not really a Christian a celebration at least not anymore because a lot of people do it uh, so I'm not one to definitely not one to encourage it so I think uh, the way to avoid it is just uh, think of more holistic things that you can do and think that why do you want to celebrate this and um, the, the way if you want to avoid these kind of celebrations just like with Christmas and other things is that I would really really encourage that you make their Eids and other forms of celebration within Islam big days Right, where you really go all out and you really make it special. When it comes to things like Christmas, uh, schools make it special, right? So that's why uh, children think that that's a very special time, right? Because I remember growing up and going to local schools, you know, in, in Hackney, for example, in London, um, there was uh, all of this celebration, all of this celebratory, uh, you know, Christmas trees and uh, these various different decorations and lights and all of that, that creates a bit of an aura. So if we don't have um, a real celebration on Eid, I mean, there's some people, they, they actually, uh, subhanAllah, they, the parents, uh, they go to work on Eid day. You know, the, the Christmas, I mean, everybody has to take off because everything's closed, but because Eid is not a national holiday in this country, at least in other countries it is, then uh, I've seen parents who go to work. So then the children think that it's just like any other day. We just have to go and do a bit of prayer in the morning and wear nice clothes, but then there's nothing. So you need to make your Eids special and also other functions throughout the year. Like if somebody completes a certain book in their, uh, in their madrasa, in their maktab, you know, they complete the Quran, they complete the, uh, you know, the, the Arabic reading, they learn some surahs. Uh, there's somebody who comes back from Hajj. You know, there's other times where you can make that really celebrate so people can actually identify 
with celebrations of Muslims. So I think that that might be what uh, you know the way to go with all of this to kind of in, understand the significance. I always encourage that don't do things just for the sake of doing them, just because you're following someone. There must be a function. There must be a real reason that uh, you know, and don't just justify reasons, but really there must be a reason why you do what you do. Right. Let's move on. Uh, can a woman? Uh, uh, is it permissible to marry a lady that is willing to revert to Islam because of the marriage? It's a very difficult question to answer. Um, I think I'll explain uh, the kind of issues behind this. Uh, you should never, you, you should never encourage somebody just to become Muslim if they if they're going to be Muslim just for that, and you know that that's the only reason. Um, if you think that there's some sincerity and there's some reason for that, that they would become Muslim for their own reasons, it should always be for that reason. Because if somebody becomes Muslim literally to show someone, that's not Islam anyway. That would not be accepted. That would not be real Islam because they need to really adopt it for themselves. I'll give you an example. There was a, uh, a Hindu woman who, who contacted me. She had, uh, had a relationship with a Muslim guy at work and she started studying Islam because she took it seriously and she said that if I'm going to do this, I'm going to do this properly. So she took it seriously. And then eventually what happened is that she learned quite a bit about Islam, but then the marriage could not work. The guy uh, was not willing to marry her anymore. So now she calls and she says that, you know, this is what's happened. And I've studied so much of Islam now that there's no turning back for me. I can't go back to Hinduism because you know, for me, that just doesn't work anymore. I know enough of Islam. I'm not a Muslim yet, but I know enough of Islam. I've gone beyond the point where I can just stop and let Islam go because I can't do that now. It's gripped me to a certain degree. So I said, well, you know, carry on studying. I mean, you know, you're not doing it for, you know, you might find somebody else to marry. Inshallah, you'll find somebody else to marry. So just because that guy's left, let your journey continue. So then she continued and then I think there came a day when she called and she said, I want to be a Muslim. And I said, Bismillah, you know, go ahead and go ahead and be Muslim, right? For your own self. I, I didn't lost touch. I don't know what happened afterwards. But uh, you, you, a, a person who becomes Muslim just for the sake of showing, that's not Islam. I mean, that's quite clear. And if you know that, that's quite clear. However, if somebody becomes Muslim, they genuinely have some belief in it. They might not be very strong. They might not be you know, very knowledgeable, but what they do know, they accept, and they actually want to make that move, then yes, you can go ahead and marry those people. Inshallah, they'll increase. Nobody's a very strong Muslim straight away. You know, Very few people are very strong straight away, so they need to learn and so on. So there needs to be sincerity, at least in their cause for you know, becoming Muslim. If it's purely for the sake of marriage, I'm, I'm just willing to say that because I don't really care, then that's not allowed. That's not allowed. You know, I remember a friend told me, this is what I was in while I was uh, living in America, that there was a guy who used to essentially uh, get, get girls at university. You know, he was at university as well. And before he would do anything with them, you know, they'd be alone or something. And he would say, look, I want you to say a few words uh, to me, right? Which is that I marry you. Right? And she's probably half drunk and she thinks it's just that li little bit of a show or something. She, she says whatever and he justifies that to think that he's actually marrying her. All right? And then after that, in his own mind, he divorces her afterwards. These are all playthings. You don't want to do that. Marriage is a very, very serious matter. Right? This is what the, 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 the environment uh, in, in which you're going to bring children. Now think that 
people on two different wavelengths, it's very, very tough on the children. So you want to get married. I, I know that love sometimes over, overwhelms you. That emotional attachment just uh, kind of bowls you over. But really be worried about your future. Uh, marry the best person with the best chance that you have. And if that's a convert, you know, who you think is going to be like that, alhamdulillah, that's great. But you don't want to do it just, just because uh, verbally somebody is saying, uh, yes, uh, the Prophet did say, whoever says la ilaha illallah openly, they are Muslim. Right. Can, uh, what is the ruling of birthdays? Okay, I think I've answered that one. How do you, how to deal with the burial of a Muslim who took their own life? So um, the discussion on suicides, I mean, there's a really good book, uh, you know, for people to have that uh, deals with what the living can do for the dead, right? It's published by White Thread Press. Uh, Dr. Shahrul has uh, written it. It's really beautiful of what you can do. Now, in that, there's, there's a discussion there as well about, um, for example, a person of suicide who've taken their own life. So suicide is frowned upon in Islam. All right. Suicide is frowned upon in Islam and that's why suicide should not be glorified, should not be revered, should not be respected. It should actually be demoted. It should be discouraged. And that's why what they say is that uh, ulama and people of influence should not attend that so as not so, uh, to attend such a gathering, such a funeral, so as not to show uh, support for such an action. That doesn't mean that you leave their body alone people have to take care of their janazah, their shroud, their burial, their, their bathing. And they, they're bathed in the same way. You know, they, they're, they're given the same kind of courtesy in terms of uh, ghusl, uh, bathing, shrouding, and burial. It's just that, you know, the ulama, the imam, etc., might not come there, but somebody's going to have to go and, you know, lead the prayer. So somebody will have to go and lead the prayer. So you do pray over them. They're not people that you avoid praying over. Somebody's going to have to do that. So that, that, I hope that's an, that answers the question. I have been told that salt lamps in the house can prove helpful to ward of shayateen as they don't like salt. <laughs> is this permissible uh, or, uh, or is it regarded as shirk? I've never heard that before. I didn't know that shaitans didn't like salt. I mean, if they didn't like salt, you don't need a salt lamp. Just, just sprinkle salt all over the place. I've never really heard that. I don't know if that uh, was to do with gin or something. I mean... I've never heard any of this. If anybody knows anything about this, please let us know. But I've never heard anything about this. The, they, they say that salt lamps, I mean, we had one once. Somebody gave us one once as well because they thought that these nice pink salt lamps are supposed to be beneficial for you. They clean the air or something like that. But then I've read mixed reviews about that. I'm not sure if it's even healthy or not. I've, I've heard of mixed reviews regarding it. But regarding whether it helps against a shaitan, I don't think so. There are things that help against a shaitan, which is essentially the remembrance of Allah. So if you keep reading any kind of remembrance of Allah, any kind of remembrance of Allah, the shaitan will have to escape. If you still feel like somebody, uh, if you feel, still feel like doing a sin, even though you're reading something, then that is not from the shaitan anymore. That's actually from our nafs, from our ego, all right? And that means that it's a habit that we've, that it's a habit that's kicking, that, that's basically just wanting us. It's an addiction that we want to do usually. But otherwise, the best thing is just, just uh, do some dhikr of Allah. That is what will keep, inshallah, the shaitan away. Can you tell me if there's two different idda for khula? I know that khula is one menstrual cycle and talaq three, but someone said that there is two types, one in which your husband refused to let you go and another where he gave his consent of talaq after a demand for khula. Khula is, I don't know where people are getting this from, khula is not one cycle. Khula is, khula essentially, let me tell you what it is. Khula is just a divorce. 
the only difference between a normal divorce and a khula divorce is that khula is the one where the husband, uh, where, where the wife has requested it or has negotiated it or has paid the husband for it. Otherwise, a khula at the end of the day is still the husband having to divorce you, but he's either been convinced or encouraged or paid to divorce you. It's still a divorce. That's why you still have to do the three menstrual cycles. I don't know where this one menstrual cycle is coming from, from a khula at the end of the day. All right. Um, so a khula essentially is where the wife has requested it or has gone through a shari, uh, sh sharia panel uh, who have, now there's a dissolution of marriage where the husband doesn't divorce, refuses to divorce, but the Sharia panel, they uh, dissolute the marriage, they cancel the marriage, they annul the marriage, they dissolve the marriage. Still, you still have to do three, uh, three um, periods, uh, three months, three periods for the idda of that. The only different idda there is, is that if a woman was married, uh, if a husband, uh, if a man and woman got married, they never consummated the marriage and neither were they ever in seclusion. So it was a marriage that was done, but never, they hardly ever met, or if they met, it was always in public. And then he divorced her. Then in that case, she doesn't have to do any idda at all. There's no waiting period for her at all. And the third type is where the husband dies. In that case, it's four months and 10 days. And the other option is if she's pregnant, then it's until the end of the pregnancy, even if that's the next day. So if she got divorced or, she, or the husband died, and the next day uh, she had her child, that idda would be that that idda would end in the case of a divorce for sure, right? So um, I've never heard of the one idda, right? Uh, at least it's not there for sure in the Hanafi madhab, right? I can't understand uh, where people are, uh, you know, where that's coming from, really. Yes, Kola, Bismillah, Assalamu alaikum. Wa alaikum assalam wa rahmatullah. Um, Shaq, if I know anybody, as a Muslim, if you want to do something, we've been advised by the Prophet Muhammad Sallallahu Alaihi Wasallam to make um, is But if you want to go for Umrah as well, is that included? Or if you want to go for Hajj or Umrah, do you have to make istikhara as well? Please? Do you do have to make istikhara if you want to go for Umrah or you want to go for Hajj? Yeah, do you That's make the question? Well. Yeah, Jazakallah for the question. Okay, so you see, th this is going to be based on what you mean by istikhara. You see, istikhara uh, literally in Arabic means talabul khair, which means seeking goodness. So you can definitely do istikhara for hajj as well. Just basically saying, I'm going to go on this trip for hajj. Oh Allah, make it good for me. If it's good for me, make it good for me. So there's nothing wrong with doing istikhara even for that. But if you're doing it to ask for choice, should I go, should I not go? If hajj is obligatory on you, then you should go anyway. Right, and just ask Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala to facilitate for you. So, uh, uh, strictly speaking, you don't really need to make istikhara for any act which is obligatory because you have to do it anyway. Right? You usually do istikhara for optional acts about when you should do them or when not to do them, right? Or how best to do them. So, there's multiple ways of looking at this. That's why if you want to use the istikhara dua just to ask for goodness, you can do that. But strictly speaking, for an obligation, you should just go for Hajj. If it's for Umrah, which is not an obligation, then you could do istikhara. Should I go now? Should I go in the next holidays? You could do that if, you, if you're not sure. But if you're convinced and it's halal for you to go and it's recommended for you to go and there's reward for you to go, then just go and ask Allah for facilitation on the way. Yes, next caller. MashaAllah, we have another question. Go ahead. Assalamu alaikum, Shaykh. Wa alaikum assalam wa rahmatullah. I'd like to know 
uh, if you make a mistake in your during your seller, um, yes. there, there's been a couple of options where people have said that have, what you should do at, towards the end of the seller to, cor to um, basically correct, not correct it, but it's just um, to add an, to a compensate bit more for to it. Yeah, to compensate, compensate for the for mistake. It. That's yeah. The right word. Can you tell, can you explain what is the right way to do it, please? Yeah. So look, this would actually depend on the nature, uh, on the nature of the mistake, right? So in, in, in Salat, you've got the integrals, which is saying Allahu Akbar, reading some Quran, uh, doing ruku, uh, doing the sajda prostration, and then sitting in the last sitting. These are the obligations and integrals. Without that, you won't even have a prayer. If you missed one of those, there's no point doing anything except repeating it or repeating that integral if you're still in prayer, otherwise repeating the whole prayer because it's like you don't even have a house yet, right? So for that, there's no sajdatu sahu. You call that sajdatu sahu, which basically means the prostration of mistake or error, right? Which usually compensates. Where you use that is if you've delayed a fard, an obligation, not missed one, you delayed it, right? Or if you've missed a wajib, which is the next level uh, of obligation in the prayer, um, like, for example, uh, standing up after the ruku and standing still enough so that all of your body parts become motionless, then going into sujda. If you don't do that and you rush it, then you've missed the wajib, all right? So there's other wajib. So if you delay a f uh, an integral, for example, let's say in the first raka'ah, you did only one sajda, one prostration, and you forgot the second one. So then you remembered in the second or third rakah, and then you did an extra one in there. So why do you fulfilled it? So at least you've got the integral, but you've delayed it. So in that case, you would do a sadda to sahu. I'll explain how to do that, right? Uh, or if you miss a wajib, for example, you only read Surah Al-Fatiha, and you forgot to read another surah or a few verses after it in the first or second rakah, for example, of your fard prayer, you've missed the wajib. Or if you prayed, uh, recited a surah and you missed your Surah Al-Fatiha, that's a wajib uh, as well, which you've missed. So if you miss a wajib, you know, you can uh, check in uh, certain books for all of the wajibs in the prayer and so on. I'll, I'll give you a recommendation afterwards if you want. But if you, again, if you delay a fard or you miss a wajib or you delay a wajib, in these three cases, you're going to have to do Saddaru Sahu. How do you do Saddaru Sahu? At the end of the prayer, there's two ways to do it. The Hanafi way is that you, before, uh, uh, you, 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 in your last sitting, you read At-Tahiyyatulillahi wa salawat the Tashahud. As soon as you finish the Tashahud, Ashhadu Allah ilaha illallah wa Ashhadu Muhammadan abduhu wa rasuluh, before you do the salawat on the Prophet sallallahu alayhi wa sallam and you go any further, you say Assalamu alaykum wa rahmatullah on one side only, and then you do two prostrations. And then you sit back up, and then you read the whole thing again, at-tahiyyatulillah, and then you complete the prayers normal. Uh, the Shafi'is and Hanbalis, I think, what they do is they read the whole thing uh, with the dua at the end, and then they make, uh, and then they do two prostrations without a salam, and then they just finish off the prayer. So there, there, there's, uh, let me just reiterate to you, the way I do it is I do tahiyyatulillah, ashadu uh, allah ilaha illallah, finish that off. And then before Durush Sharif, before Salawat, uh, you make Assalamu Alaikum Warahmatullah once, and then you do two prostrations, sit back up, and then finish the prayer off. Next caller, please. Assalamu Alaikum Warahmatullah Wabarakatuh. Wa Alaikum Assalamu Warahmatullah Wabarakatuh. Sheikh, um, I'm having difficulty. I can, I can stand up during Salat, I can ruku, 
No problem, but I cannot sujud. You can't do sujud, okay. No, is it okay to stand up and kuku and then sit on a chair? Right, so you have two options, right? Uh, mm -hmm. Allah Ta'ala make it easy for you and Allah relieve you and a lot of other people who are having these issues. So you have two options. Number one, uh, many of the ulama, they actually say that the reason you actually stand up is so you can go into the sajda, the sujood, right? The prostration on the ground. So if you can't do the prostration, the stronger opinion is that you can actually just sit and pray the whole thing. So you can sit and then you bow a bit for ruku and then uh, you bow more for sujood. However, there's other ulama who also allow that you can actually stand up, as you're saying, stand up, do your uh, standing up, do your ruku, and then after that, sit down to do your sujood, okay? So you, you, you can do that as well. But as I said, the first way is that you could actually just sit and pray completely because you can't do sujood. Ah, uh, uh, alhamdulillah. Allah make it easy for you. Allah bless you. Thank you. Assalamu alaikum. Wa alaikum assalam wa rahmatullahi wa barakatuh. Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala bless you all. I'm sure there's a lot of other questions, uh, unfortunately, that we can't take them all. And Allah uh, give us relief. Allah give us understanding. Allah give us uh, tranquility, comfort, and uh, great conviction uh, in our faith. Uh, remember us all in your du'as, and I pray that Allah bless you all. And Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala take us all to Jannah and Paradise. Assalamu alaikum wa rahmatullahi wa barakatuh. يا أيها الذين آمنوا أطيعوا الله وأطيعوا الرسول وأولي الأمر منكم فإن تنازعتم في شيء فردوه إلى الله والرسول إن كنتم تؤمنون بالله واليوم الآخر